Greetings. Well, well, hello. We are back. Episode 24. Episode 24. Did you see that girl who messaged us and said, did you realize you put out your 23rd episode on the 23rd day of the month? I just love our listeners. Can you believe someone noticed that? The fact that they noticed that, I've never felt like more loved or seen or just cherished. Cherished, just like the little things. Absolutely. That was probably one of the sweetest DMs I've ever received. It was so nice. So nice. People have been so nice. Like, I feel such a genuine love for anyone who listens to this podcast and anyone who chats with us in DMs. I just, I love you all. I know. I feel like already there's just this small, tight, it feels like a close-knit community, but I guess it's really just us talking to a bunch of people <laughs> and them talking to you and me. But yeah, it, already I'm in love with our audience and the people listening to this podcast. So thank you so much, you guys. We, yeah, we like seriously couldn't be like more happy or just like excited to chat with you all. To settle in with you every Wednesday and talk about the things that matter in life. Truly. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Sam, how's your week been? My week okay. has not been good. Well, it was good until I realized that I had made it to the end of the Nexium episodes that were out. Like I thought I had like at least three more episodes in the canon. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but you get to the end of an episode and you're like, all right, let's just move on to the next one. And then you realize, oh no, oh. you've reached the end. Oh. And, and, I, and I, I go back to being a teenager and like waiting for days for shows to be released like for the new episode of the show and I don't like living in that world I don't like living in the past do you it feels like such an antiquated version of television it's (sighs) always shocking to me the same thing happened at HBO by the way I love that well I antiquated HBO HBO really is antiquated. The, they release Succession. They must release all their new shows in the same way, like week by week. Mm-hmm. And it's just not fun. It's not going to fly with me for much longer. Like, I'm still going to watch everything, but I'm just going to tell you right up front, it's not going to fly. Yeah. She's going to write a letter at some point. There will be a letter. There's a notary shop on my block. It will be notarized. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure the, notar- the notarization will really drive the point home that, that they're getting a letter like, from a psycho. Wow, this girl went to a notary and everything. How cute. <laughs> I guess we really know this came from Chandler Bloodstone. <laughs> Verified. Really drives the point home. <laughs> well, people, we should tell you that if you have not watched the documentary on Nexium, that is what the bulk of our podcast is going to be about today, I think, Chandler. Do yes. You think? Yeah. I like it's been a very long time since I've like really found a show that I've like fully dived headfirst into and been like excited to watch at the end of every single day. I guess I take it back. It's just been since my last show that I felt that way. (laughs) It's an excellent documentary. And so we're just going to humbly put out a little plea that you watch this documentary and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. Just a little plug for the documentary on that note. It's got everything credit card debt, sex cults, sashes, Sashes. Canadians, like basically everything you could want, it's there. Please go take part. Even just the first 10 minutes, you realize, oh, this is a very juicy, good documentary. Yes. Yes. We're buckling in for this. And it's like to everyone out there who's, oh, I read the article on the cut or whatever. No, I thought the exact same thing. Like there are new bits in this documentary that will blow your mind. Okay. So before we get into everything, I think we need to cover off on some pop culture things that have happened that we just need to touch on briefly. 
I would love it. I would love nothing more. So apparently, apparently, what's depressing me currently is that Zac Efron has started dating this girl who he met in Australia, and she was a server, and now she's quit her job to be with him. Yes, she has. She's living the dream we all fantasize about. Everyone else went back to work on Monday, and she's not going back to work, everyone. She did not. No, she is probably luxuriating in some sort of compound that he owns, or at least totally. a luxurious home. I'm, I'm sure she's actually in the throes of her, like, I'm dating a celebrity glow up, where he was just like, here, take this card, go do whatever you want, buy yourself oh. something nice, just feel good, because I love you when you feel good. <gasps> I'm going to cry. I have the chills. Can you imagine? Can no. you imagine? Chandler and I were serviced together at a restaurant called Communal in Provo, Utah, and we were in college. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly thinking um, that I wanted to work at a nice restaurant because it would put me in touch with successful men. Right. And ideally, one would pick up on me and hopefully I could quit. And one of the funniest things that ever happened when I worked there, um, I was not picked up. On, oh, I, well, I was not. I did never had a successful relationship with a customer. We'll I did. That story I to Chandler. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, someone did come in and he said a very nice compliment. And then he said, or he basically said, you're so beautiful. You must be dating the owner. And I just looked at him <laughs> and I thought, do you think that if I am dating the owner, that I am going to also be... You're schlepping brunch? Yeah. Like, like if I'm dating someone, there's not a chance he's making me work at his restaurant. Get okay? That's the last thing I would do. The last thing. That's called the worst boyfriend of all time. What an idiot, truly. But anyway, this girl, she had a restaurant fairy tale, if you will, because she was serving Zac Efron at a cafe in Australia and somehow taking his tomato sandwich order ended in her retirement. Tomato sandwich? What the hell is that? You've never eaten a tomato sandwich? No. The Spanish call it a pan con tomate. (laughs) Okay, folks, please let us know if you also eat tomato sandwiches. Like you could have said a BLT and that would have been normal, but a tomato sandwich, that's super weird. I I take issue with that. You just haven't been to Europe that much. It's okay. You're right. You're right. I haven't been abroad enough. Exactly. (laughs) This always comes up. Um, But I also think what's super fascinating about the story is that while she is a very pretty girl, she is not Cindy Crawford, so hot, working at a cafe, like totally. Be, like, like beyond a supermodel where you're like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, she was going to be plucked out of obscurity somehow. And Zac Efron was the first to do it. Exactly. Like She's a very normal, normal, pretty girl. And it, that is another interesting part of this. Like she must have really charmed him when she was taking that tomato sandwich order. 100%. Yeah, I was a little bit shook. I mean, I also don't think Zac Efron, like, dates – he doesn't always date, like, supermodels. Like, Vanessa Hudgens isn't a supermodel. She's gorgeous and cute, but she's not a supermodel. That's true. That's true. What else what, – the other thing that's interesting about it is that I looked at her Instagram, and she has a full – oh, well, hold on. Pause. Pause. Chandler. What? Her name is also Vanessa. Oh. Vanessa Velardez. Hmm. I didn't this make that sus. connection before. This is sus. But I think the other interesting thing is I looked at her Instagram. She now has 80,000 followers on Instagram, which, you know, if she can get some swipe up links going, she never has to go back to that restaurant, even never. if it doesn't work out with Zac Efron. She will be doing teeth whitening and fit tummy tea into the rest of time. 
Absolutely. Yep. Collagen <sighs> powders. Good for and her. What honestly, what a joyful existence. What, how excited I like yeah, I'm here for this. I'm excited for you, Vanessa. I think that's such a positive caveat of a celebrity guy of a relationship not we're not working out because at least you know you got a career out of it. Totally, and maybe she'll get picked up for like a small role or something. You never know. Not that we're overly cynical about relationships, but I do think we need to tell people why it would have seemed that we do appear overly cynical about relationships. Oh, I mean, besides our torrid history with men, our dad recently, uh, this is, okay, this story is so dark. Our dad recently said something that really shook, left us both shaking. Mm -hmm. Me as a single woman and Lauren in a very happy, committed relationship. Yeah, and a betrothed to my beloved, I still left that restaurant with a pit in my stomach. Right. So basically, shout out to our little sister, McCall. That was her 20th birthday. We went to a lovely dinner and we all were, you know, sharing in this moment and talking to her about why we love her. And then we decided to go around and offer wisdom that we like wish we would have known at 20 or just things that we think are important from a call to know. Mm -hmm. So we go around the table and people are saying things like take every possible class in college. There's no limit to like the things you can learn and just like, the season of your life that's just learning. Or, try things. Don't be afraid to fail. Totally. Yeah. It was basically a Nexium cult meeting <laughs> until it got to our dad. Yes. Um, until it got to our father. And he took this beautiful moment when we were all really basking in the glow of shared wisdom and love for our sister to tell her that she needs to get a career, get a skill, work hard, and never rely on a man because, quote, they will let you down every time. He said it with just such a dejected, like, just a stern tone. He said, they will fail you every time. It was dejected, but it was determined. That was the exact word. They will fail you every time. (laughs) I'm like, I've been engaged for like a couple weeks at this point, basically. And I kind of just like look at Kagan and I'm thinking, yeah, that's not the expectation here that you're going to fail me. Right. What, 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 what? I, I was speechless. I was verklempt. Yeah, we all were kind of like, okay, moving right (laughs) along. Happy birthday. Bring out the candles. It was so dark. It was so dark. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's hilarious because our dad is a, has been with our mother for 40 years, basically, and has been a adoring husband and father for you know 38 years since our oldest sister was born so it's just such a weird thing for him to say too you wouldn't have expected that to come out of his mouth he always told us growing up you you need a skill in case your husband dies that's what he always told us is we didn't really grow up in the most feminist household (laughs) it was like just like learn how to work your way around a dslr so you can launch a mini photography career in case your husband dies it was always like if you become a widow and like we've only recently seen the shift to like well they're actually always going to fail you so you're always going to need a backup plan <laughs> totally what what is with this new attitude this new Ugh, advice i really so would have dark. treated my college career a lot differently I if uh, if that had been the the instructions <laughs> so, so classic funny. well that's dad's opinion but i think there are plenty of men who are not failing in any way and one of those men is brad felchuk Chan, I have been dying to talk to you about this because I have actually a very complex layered thoughts. Okay, well, let's get into it. I just want to say that for me, Christmas comes around twice a year. It's December 25th, and 
it's Gwyneth Paltrow's birthday. And not because of anything Gwyneth posts, because clearly she posts some, you know, pretty ridiculous stuff. But it's really the Instagram and the accompanying caption that I look forward to from Brad Falchuk. It's a tribute. Yes. Every year. Okay, so do you want to read it or shall I? Why don't you deliver it? Okay. So the picture is Gwyneth. She is in a bearish room on a black leather couch. She's wearing Ugg boots and a red dress. And she's lying on a couch. Her legs look impeccable. As yep. does She looks beautiful. Per usual. And the caption reads, this badass is 48 today. She makes pizza from scratch, is never late for cocktail hour, makes looking good annoyingly easy, and never skips an opportunity to put an asshole in his place. She makes friends feel like family and family feel like friends. Trust me, she's the best. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Beauty, I love you. P.S. If anyone reading this wants to get Gwyneth something for her birthday, please vote. Register your friends to vote. Drive people to the polls. She absolutely loves it when people vote. Wow. I also have some thoughts about it. Okay. So why don't you go first? Um, I'm going to say that this one let me down. Yeah, I agree. If we can compare it to, for example, 2019's post. Oh my gosh. Like this, that soft, hardworking hands she uses to make the most delicious pancakes (laughs) and make you feel at home with the slightest touch. That's just an excerpt. If we can refer back to... 2018. And this is just not... Oh, yeah. This was a birthday post. When was this photo taken? 1940, 50, 70. Last summer. It's this timeless beauty's birthday today. And then, of course, there's the one with her drinking... Of her, like, in some sort of chateau. And where he says, this is the oh. most beautiful woman of all time, and today is her birthday. Like, I quiver. Honest, <laughs> the, her, his words have been poetry. They have been, like, basically I, gospel and instruction on how to love a woman. I drink them up. Yeah, they every year they really are incredibly restorative to my mm-hmm. my otherwise jaded psyche thanks to my right. father. <laughs> but this year the kind of low-key photo of her in her Ugg boots and then the basically four somewhat generic sentences. Right. That's what I'm going to say. The photo was fine. Like I'm all for candid. It's just that to say she makes friends feel like family and family feel like friends. Yeah. She, he really was not, I, I guess he's not as trained copywriter like you. I know. I, I just, in 2020, this is what we, this is the only thing we need. This needed. is like the only thing, yeah, this is one of the few things this year that's going to actually boost the morale gonna, of the I, world. I was going to say the Commonwealth, but I guess we're not in the It's UK. like, we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg two weeks ago, and this is what the women of the world needed, was a he lovely Instagram caption. And yes. he, he really should have. He should have been tuned in. Yeah. He should be drafting this months in advance. Mm-hmm. Like now more than ever, we need Send- him to come through. Yes. Sending it to TV writer friends, getting feedback. Yeah. I mean. Notes. Bills. One of the, I, I even don't like the introduction. This badass is 48 no, today. I just, it's just, it's all throwaway. It's like saying it's, she's amazing. Really? She's just don't incredible. Say, don't say anything if you're going to say that I'm amazing. Please don't tell me that you love me so much. I mean so much to you. You might as well throw me in the garbage. Those words mean nothing. Nothing. It's like the first rule of writing well is that you have to say things that are unique and original, provocative and evocative or right. just evocative, really. You don't say just like canned tropes it's like he, she makes pizza from scratch she's never late for cocktail hour who cares if she's late I don't for care. cocktail I don't hour care. i don't care it's i don't like, care thank goodness That's your what... wife isn't late for cocktail hour like right. the last one 
This was just, it, this one just like did not stir me. Makes looking good annoyingly easy and never skips an opportunity to put an ale in his place. I mean, to be honest with you, I think a true sign of grace in the world is actually skipping opportunities to put ales in their place. Who cares if they're on time to cocktail hour if they're just ripping you a new one the whole time? (laughs) Totally. I also just think I don't really want to be called a badass or being be told. I don't want people to say about me, nope. yeah, she never, she'll never not take the opportunity to rake you <laughs> over the coals. <laughs> what? I want to be thought of as, as sweet and wonderful. And totally. It's a, It was a strange tribute on many levels. Strange and a, and a letdown. A huge letdown. Oh, oh, Gwyneth. Okay, speaking of Gwyneth. Let's move on to her birthday post, which I sent to you immediately. I think we were actually talking when I saw it come up. Yes. Let's talk about it. We were on the phone and you were like, oh my gosh, Gwyneth Paltrow just posted a nude photo for her birthday. I'm going to I'm gonna let you take it, Chan. Okay. Actually, I'm going to let you take it. Unless you want me to. I mean, okay. I, I don't think I, maybe I don't have the hottest, as hot of a take as you do. Okay. To me, this photo is ultimate cringe. There is just an... And I have no problem with posting a tasteful nude. Uh, actually, what's strange is I would actually think it was would be really weird if one of my friends or so, a, a normal person posted an, even a tasteful nude of themselves. Mm-hmm. But I guess with celebrities, there's a weird double standard. So if you're a celebrity, I have no problem with a tasteful nude. But there's something about this nude that doesn't feel tasteful, feels very um, – uh, it just feels like – it feels very hippy dippy. It just feels like strange. Very granola. The pose, the the toe pop, and the it's like the fake s- nude nude. Yeah, the- it's like blurry. I don't know. I just expected a better composition, frankly. And I would just expect maybe a crisper photo, right? I would love a studio shot. Yep. Something yep. That, that, you know, when I zoom right. in, I'm not right. basically like looking at a Rorschach block. Like yep. I'm, I actually know what I'm seeing. Yeah. And there, it's just, it's, it reminds me of, well, first of all, in the photo, she's in like her backyard, obviously in the Hamptons. And it just reminds me of a photo. If you're, let's just imagine your mom is like a, a pretty like big pot smoker and like hippie. It reminds me of like a photo you'd accidentally see on her phone. Like, yep. Between her and her, like, polyamorous lover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's just something cringe about it. It's just, it's, honestly, it's just a little cringe. And I'm all for her looking hot. Like, I love seeing Gwyneth in the nude. But something about this is, I don't know if it's also, like, waiting till your birthday to post a nude photo of yourself. I almost wish it was, like, a little bit less intentional. You know, okay, I, I'm actually going to just completely upend my last statement about nudes. But I will say, I actually just think it's embarrassing i actually think i don't like nudes i know i'm now i'm just i'm by speaking i am coming to another conclusion my position is evolving call me a flip-flopper but i just yeah i don't i'm john mccain right now and i'm just saying i don't actually think it's a good look and i don't even think it's about age either because she looks super gorgeous she's amazing right i just i think no matter what your age is posting a nude photo of yourself is just cringe okay okay you heard it here first guys do you disagree i i don't know i feel like whatever people are allowed to do whatever they want it's not something i would do frankly you're being pc right now give us your real opinion i am being pc because i don't 
I just think that, yeah, I'm just not, I don't know that I would ever post it to my platform, like, let alone on my birthday. That just feels, honestly, this is the most Gwyneth Paltrow thing Gwyneth Paltrow could have done. And I don't like it when she, like, leans into, like, how much people think she's the worst. See, I think the most Gwyneth thing that she could have done would be posting a nude where it's, like, actually really beautifully shot and it's super tasteful and it looks really good her and her whole brand is like it. undone though i don't know though i feel like her whole I mean, brand is like air dried hair her okay her aesthetic is undone but it's also polished she's all goop is also like an extremely polished look and business g brand is all for basically like conservative women who want to have style right it's all like midi length skirts and cap sleeves i don't and like big big puff sleeves i don't really think her brand is like that undone whatsoever interesting i just think it's because it's on her birthday and her like nothing like i just feel like this is super planned and that's why i don't like it yeah yeah i do think that there is very much like a whenever you are nearing or approaching or turning a new decade, there's very much a thing of like, this is 40. This is 50. Right, this totally. is 30. Like, I still am hot. I still have got it. Yeah. Whatever. No, it's, that's exactly what it is. It's like the Instagram you post on your birthday, like literally has to be your most, like it has to shatter the ceiling every year. Yeah. And it's in the point of the photo for a lot of people is this is how hot I look at this age. Right. Right. Not I got our dad really did a number on us because clearly I'm like very cynical and jaded. But I do think that's what I read when I'm looking at Instagram. And honestly thousand percent. I actually don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I just think that a bikini photo is better than a nude photo. Yeah. Yeah. Because I read actually an interesting article on the cut this morning, the cha- Chandler, that oh, I was so do the Chandler on the cut Chandler. Yes, I did. And it was talking about how sometimes people or society gives women a really hard time for continuing to want to look beautiful and to be very well styled like throughout their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And it was basically the title of the article really was the whole point. It was like, who does it serve when women disappear as they get older? And right. that's, it just serves a patriarchal culture that wants those women to be invisible. So I guess I've come full circle and I love this photo. And okay. Gwyneth is a champion. Okay. <laughs> Gwyneth, we're here for you. We support you. We can't wait to see next year's. Wow. Was it not complex and layered, Chandler? It was. You lived, your promise, uh, you lived up to your promise, Lauren. I delivered. Truly. Okay. So next, Chandler, let's talk about Nexium. You down? I'm so down to talk about it. It's literally all I can think about. It's all I can think about, too. I'm obsessed with the documentary, but I just want to give a little disclaimer. As we go into this, I think that this is, we're going to be venturing into less funny territory, more actually kind of disturbing territory, and talking a little bit more seriously about it. Yeah, because I see that. It's hard. I don't think we're going to be able to really make light of this in a funny way, mm-hmm. although we will try. So just kind of a disclaimer that this is probably going to get a little more serious. And also, if you could be triggered by content that involves like sex cults or abuse or anything like that, this pod, the rest of this pod, it's probably not for you. Yeah. Agreed. But we hope, but please come back next week. Next week. Episode yes. 25. So now that we've given our disclaimer, let's dive head first. Head first. Let's go. Okay. Chandler, what are your initial thoughts just right off the bat? Right off the bat, I'm unimpressed with upstate New York, which is where the Nexium cult resides. 
I thought it was oh oh my gosh this is really betrays my geographical ignorance where did you I was think like, Albany was you idiot I was like I thought they were in Albany and like a, state, <laughs> a state of Albany I always thought that Al- oh no I didn't okay I didn't always say that Albany but because they always talk about Vancouver too that's like the other spot in the documentary I just cons- mm. I assumed Albany was in Canada <laughs> And well, so I'm like, oh, I hate to correct her on this, <laughs> but I'm just going to have to chill her. Just so you know. Just so you know, it's actually not in upstate New York. It's in Albany. No. Sh- yeah, you're very wrong. And I would just like to say to all of our Albany listeners, I'm really sorry. Lauren uh, just invalidated your citizenship. Apologies to all in Albany for Chandler Loki <laughs> insulting it and saying she's not impressed by the town. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. I, I do yeah. apologize. <laughs> that would be a little worse, okay? I guess there's such patriots there. Heaven forbid someone could not think it's in the U.S. Who cares if someone says it's a total shithole? Uh, yeah, Albany, though, uh, I'm just going to say it's it just – it. Yeah, it doesn't look like the Garden of Eden. No, it is certainly not a destination that we will be jetting off to anytime soon to take a vacation. Not that we're doing that regardless. Of course not. But that is where the founder lived and where the higher-ups lived. It's kind of where the cult has, yeah, it's obviously where he lives. And, like, it's just where people congregate. Like, you move there to join the cult, basically. Well, and, they also have more, people opening chapters. Right, centers. Centers. Okay, so I think that th- before we go off into little tangents, right. I think that we should set up Nexium for people. Yeah. Lauren, okay. set us up. Okay, I'm going to set us up. So Nexium essentially begins. Your first, like, your first interaction with it is basically a Tony Robbins-esque, like a, a very sad, pitiful Tony Robbins-esque self-help seminar. So instead of entering a stadium of thousands of people mm-hmm. that are cheering, it's really like six people in like a very dreary holiday in a uh, seminar room. Seminar room. Totally. Yeah. And they have these seminars that are thousands of dollars and oh. they're about, so basically what, how they get people in is they have people trying to actively to recruit other people. So it'd be like if I told Chandler, hey Chandler, there's this thing that's like totally transformed my life. It's made everything better. I'm living such a better, happier, more fulfilled life. You have to do this. It's right. unbelievable. It will be worth its weight in gold. So if you decide to take a seminar, you enter this a podunk hotel and go to a very sad looking holiday in seminar room, as we've said. And it's essentially a very odd series of meetings. And apparently the first thing you're taught when you get there is that you need to bow when you enter and exit. And you're also given a sash to wear and you're told about the leaders. There's basically the main guy who's the cult leader. Vanguard. Vanguard, and you're told you call him Vanguard, and then there's like his high priestess, basically, or what they call prefect. Salzman. Yeah. What is it? Martha Salzman or Mary Salzman? Laura Salzman, I want to say. No, Lauren is her daughter. Right. Nancy. It's Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nancy Salzman. And she's a very like bookish accountant looking woman, like the most normal looking woman of all time. She has zero cult vibes. And zero even. Like, nothing is amiss with her. And nothing seems self-aggrandizing or conceited or vain. She doesn't have any sort of good style. She's 
No offense. I mean, but... so we've just now alienated people, all of, everyone in Albany, and all of the devoted fashion followers of Nancy Salzman. Yeah, or like the accountants that are listening. Okay, cool. She, she's a very generic looking woman. And anyway, but by telling you that you call these people Vanguard and Prefect and introducing the bowing and the sashes, what they want to do is they want to weed out the people who are weirded out and who won't get out of their comfort zones quickly because they only want you to stay in if you're actually willing to essentially unknowingly or unwittingly enter a cold and get into a bunch of weird crap it's a slippery slope like if you're just like kind of okay with it you're like let's just see how it'll go i'm sure it's fine it's nothing right then you know fast forward 20 years and you're you're up to your eyeballs and credit card (laughs) debt for nexium so the first thing they teach you when you're in the seminar is that they have two big principles. And the first one is that it's something called being at cause. And it means that you are responsible for everything that happens in your life. And everything, you're responsible for all of your emotions, every reaction you have, and everything, every circumstance you're in, you're responsible for. Okay, for the listeners, I'm just going to take you on a small journey of how I would fall for this 100%. Basically, I would. I totally buy this. I totally buy the at cause part. Like I'm right now in the seminar room, and I'm like, yes, a hundred percent. I'm responsible. You're exactly right. So because I'm just explaining how all of this seems like actually very real and empowering at times. Oh no, a hundred percent. If someone tells you that you're actually the problem, and that with that at first it's like oh, but at, at second glance it's like if I'm the problem, then all I have to do is change, and then everything around me changes. And I'm going to be able to live the life of my dreams. It's all in my hands. Right. I think where the rubber hits the road with that supposition or that idea or principle is that you're not really at cause if someone has harmed you in a very real way. And like, you know, like I won't go any further than that because I don't want to get into dark stuff. But actually, if there's plenty of things that are out of your control that just happen because they happen. And then your emotional reaction to them, because to to very serious, real things that happen to you, trying to blame you for them or trying to say that you just are responsible for having a yeah. negative reaction, that's like the highest form of manipulation right. and gaslighting. gaslighting. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But at the beginning, it seems super empowering. And mm-hmm. so then what they say, the second big principle is that you have wrong beliefs and they call them limiting beliefs or mm-hmm. limited beliefs. Mm-hmm. And they say that. These beliefs, they have to be deprogrammed from your psychology. And the way you deprogram them is you go through an exploration of meaning. And it's called an EM. And the founder basically says it's his own technology. And basically all it is is like if Chandler tells me she hates Skittles, we'll just constantly go after why she hates Skittles, talking about it, going through every every reason, every possible mental history. And then you get to the root cause and you get to any logical fallacy or issue that actually created her hatred for Skittles. And then she realizes, oh, it's because that second grader always was force feeding me Skittles. I don't know. This is such a weird analogy. <laughs> I, I mean, I no longer hate them. fed so many times. Like, I don't know. It seems like something you'd remember. But you get the gist. And that's actually a very common practice in therapy you just unpack what your what unpack your trauma yeah unpack your trauma unpack your limited beliefs and it's a very common practice in therapy but somehow this founder has tricked everyone into thinking that it's his technology yeah i'm like i you can't tell me that therapists are using keith rainieri's like patented technology 
no, I'm pretty sure the whole point of therapy is just it is one is asking questions about why you believe things you believe and how those negative beliefs are impacting your life. That's like literally is the work of therapy. So or a primary part of it. And then also in these first couple of meetings, you share all of your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your anxieties. So you completely open up and you're super vulnerable and you also make these psychological breakthroughs. So it's this very like, uh, it's cathartic. It's like camp. It's like any sort of camp situation where you're like, you've been broken down a little bit and you feel vulnerable with a group of people. And then you like feel bonded to them in that yeah. way. And because they affirm you and they tell you that, mm-hmm. you know, you're actually so strong and like all this stuff. Um, so then, so that's how they kind of, that's how they get you, right? Because you actually have this authentically really, you you grow a lot in this, in this experience, which essentially you could engineer this experience with anyone if you all just wrote down all your deepest thoughts and dreams and then got vulnerable with each other. Totally. Okay, so then at the end of the seminars, they're ba- you're basically told that you need to progress and you've just had this amazing experience. And after an amazing experience like that, like after this incredible cathartic summer camp experience, all you want is to grow more, is to have more of it because it's such a rush and a high. Mm-hmm. And you're basically told that you need to go up a ranking system to achieve your highest form of self possible. And that ranking system is called Up the Stripe Path. Sounds like something from like shoots and ladders or like candy cane, <laughs> whatever the candy cane board game. But continue. Really, it's just a a succession of different of different colored sashes that you wear that denote what level of advancement you are in in your Nexium career and oh, progress. We'll get to the sashes, folks. Yeah. And it is a punishing road up the stripe path because not uh, going up the stripe path. It's not only spending thousands and thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars on more seminars but it's also recruiting other people Mm -hmm. and so you also have to get other people to go to come to the seminars and it's being a coach where you lead people in exploration or ems explorations of meaning so you basically conduct therapy with other people and you're like the you're setting up the meetings you're cleaning up after like there's all you're basically a full-time nexium employee to go up the stripe path totally unpaid Mm -hmm. you're paying money to do this <laughs> totally there's one girl who like almost fainted because she was working basically 20 hours a day for these for this organization and this is where so this is where it actually gets pretty weird when they start they make you pay so much money and they tell you have to devote 20 hours a day to it but this is also i think where the real red flags pop up because when she has this break like physical breakdown the leader tells her that she is actually doesn't understand how strong she could be and that was actually like a sign of serious weakness mm-hmm. and that she was blowing it and he kind of when he her said for you're, it. you're blowing it it was like shocking i was Mind like blowing. <gasps> yeah you just i think that's when you you turn the corner from being like oh yeah this is like some whatever mumbo jumbo but like if it helps people whatever totally, totally. and then you're like oh my gosh, this is like so toxic. Yeah. It's like, okay, if people want to spend 12 hours a day doing therapy and doing therapy for other people and like leading people in songs, that's better than scrolling Instagram like I'm doing. For sure. So whatever. But if, you know, you're told that like you having a physical breakdown is because of your own, of your own mental weakness, that's where it's like, okay, this is actually abusive. Right, right. 
And I think that's a key indication of any of any cult is where they make it seem like people who leave left because they weren't strong enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is the hugest red flag to me. And one of the like most interesting seminars that they showed was the founder, Keith, talking about what he calls comfort addiction. And this is how he basically introduces the idea that like if where he this is where you see him basically start to brainwash them because he says like people in the outside world they're so comfortable they just want to be comfortable 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 all the time they're not pushing themselves they're not living their highest potential they're not being everything they can be and so that's how they condition you like if you say oh hey i actually fainted because i've been working for 20 hours no it's not it's not oh, okay, you need to actually, you know, Try get harder. better. Yeah. Or we need to, you know, we have empathy for you and you need to take a rest. You need to take a break. It's no, it's yet yeah, you need to work harder. You're addicted to comfort. That's your problem. Totally. So anyway, it's a very, so that's and, like the, how the initial parts of it that are funky and yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's a wild ride. I mean, and they introduced these characters in the documentary who have all dissented and you just see how much like, they dedicate their lives completely to it and mm-hmm. basically like just fully turn their life over to the to Nexium. And they don't they just completely assume their new role in within the cult and yeah. they like don't talk to their families. They and like, ruin just, their financial lives. It's all consuming. You basically quit your job to be in the cult. Yeah, exactly. And then somehow are still paying them money to be there. Yeah. yeah. It's baffling. But at the heart of it is Keith Rainier. He's the top dog. He's Vanguard. He is the cult leader that everyone worships. Mm-hmm. Chan, how do you feel about Keith? How do I feel about Keith? Let's just say that I feel drawn to him, even though I know that he's like rationally like one of the scariest people like on the planet. I do too. 100%. I, uh, absolutely. There is a very real part of me that's like, I would love to talk to him and have him approve of me and think I'm really smart. Right. I want nothing more than for him to give me a meaningful gaze. And oh, yes. And take me under his wing and tell me that I'm special. There's nothing more seductive than a man who seems like otherworldly, smart and intellectual and beyond beyond this realm. Totally. I think it's also like, he seems like a fantastic listener. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what a, a lot of women crave. Just like someone who really listens. Listens and treats them like their opinions are smart and profound and right. thoughtful. And what's so funny about this, and I was thinking about it, he is, has a very pleasing face, in my opinion. I actually think he's like relatively cute. Chandler, okay. thoughts? Yeah, he's like handsome enough. Yeah, he's actually like younger Keith. He's a little like his stature's not like totally my favorite, but he's like he has a handsome face. Yeah, I would say that his Achilles heel is that he's probably five one, and so that is what. <laughs> so I was like beating around the bush. His yeah. stature is not my favorite. Yeah, exactly. So he's a little bit more of a diminutive man, but I will say that otherwise he's he is like relatively cute and if it wasn't for some of his weird haircuts, he could be yeah, he could totally pass as cute. Anyway, why why did I get on that? Why was I saying? We just wanted to talk about his looks, let's be honest. I can just say that with full confidence that I would be drawn in. If I was found my if I found myself in Albany and I happened upon a volleyball game by the Nexium cult, 
Like mm-hmm. I literally I, – I would 100% like fully dive in. Oh, you would be going to those volleyball games 100%. How, how – isn't the volleyball – okay, let's explain volleyball. So what that is – so basically – Okay, what? go ahead. Well, I just remembered what I was going to say, but that's okay. Okay, continue. Say what you were going to say. I was going to say before I forgot – I just think that it's irritating that never in the history of humanity has there been a female-led cult and all of these, like, sycophantic, praising men led by this woman and just, like, she's so smart. She's so incredible. She's a genius. She's such a good listener. She's such a good listener. It doesn't matter that she's physically not that attractive. She's just the way she looks at me and hears what I'm saying and validates me as a person. Like, what what does it say about about women and what they need and have a profound hunger for and yeah how men are failing them honestly we all of us could like start a cult in a second if if men needed from us like what women need from men exactly so anyway that's just like like the sheer emotional intelligence of the average woman versus the average like lizard brain man is like astounding I like know the disparity. So, so I think when you have a guy who seems mm-hmm. otherworldly smart and he's also paying so much attention to you and what's coming out of your mouth, it's like it is. It doesn't matter that you're seven inches taller than him. It it's just your your brain explodes. Like, right. Opiates explode in your. I brain. mean, he also like walks into a room with this disarming, like ease. Yeah. But also like re- very real presence. Like he's a presence. There's a real warmth there. Totally. And it's interesting. Like everyone in the documentary always talks about like, well, when I first started, everyone just kept saying, you got to meet Keith. You got to meet Keith. So he's just like so lauded as like mm-hmm. their leader. Yeah. He's already been validated by all these people. And so when you finally meet him, the people talk about how you're actually disarmed by his physicality at first. Right. It's underwhelming. But then his presence and his magnetism, it just completely sucks you in. It's the complete package. Yes. Totally. I dare totally. say. I would say it's it's not the complete package. but As far it, as like lethal combo for a cult leader. Yeah. For a cult leader. A hundred percent. So... Yeah. Uh, anyway, what were you going to say? I don't remember. Oh, I was just talking about volleyball. Like, that basically, like, uh, Nexium members play volleyball late into the night once a week, and that, that's, like, a team bonding experience. But I just – that flies in the face of his, like, addicted-to-comfort mentality. It's like playing sports is a comfort. Yeah. I Well, what's interesting about that is they talk about how his, his strategy for having these volleyball games was that it allowed people to feel like he was like, it allowed them to feel like they had an avenue to become really close to him. And like they show after the volleyball games, he honestly looked like a buffoon. That was his least attractive moments. Were like oh yeah. Like the sweatband. Yeah. The, the sweatband around his like knees and around his forehead yeah but then you just see all these sweaty people in basketball shorts like hanging on his every word after for hours at the court and he's Literally. just talking total nonsense but they are they just are sucking in every and like word. people are crying there's this scene where he talks to allison mack who's like the this the actress from smallville who's like one of the most notorious members of nexium and like he's basically just like She's saying things and then he's just like like, taking that information in and then regurgitating nonsense back to her. And then all of a sudden she's like sobbing. Totally. Totally. It. Wait, let's do a little role play of that conversation. Okay. 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 Okay, So you be Allison and I'll be Keith. Okay. I don't know why I think that I can't go out for the bigger roles. Like why I have to stick with Smallville. Like why I can't go for like Bigville, so to speak. (sighs) How does it feel to you when you see great art, Allison? What does great art do to you? 
<sighs> it's uncomfortable to talk about. I know. I it's just I've never I never think about it like this, and it's I don't know. It makes me feel something. It it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And what is that feeling? What is that feeling when you are standing in front of a great work of art or you're watching a great film or you're listening to a piece of music? What is that's inside of you that knows that there's something deeper? There's something there. There's something, Allison, there's a part of me in that. What is that? I think it's like, I want that. You want it because I don't know if you know about the theory of materialism by Descartes, but Descartes basically tells us that if if it doesn't if it doesn't exist in matter, if we can't measure it, it isn't real. And what's fascinating about that is that people actually know that it's not true. Like Allison, when you're watching a film and you feel something, or when you look at a painting and you feel something, that feeling is real. Isn't that it's so real, it's the most real part about you. <laughs> yep. It's okay. It's okay. You know what? You know what Picasso said about paintings. What? He said that he was most interested in actually shapes and how they interact with each other. Not with colors or not even with painting. What I'm trying to say is that it's I often say this, questions tell us more than answers. It's not the thing itself but what lies beyond it. And I can see that in you there's so much that lies beyond. Thank you, Keith. We <laughs> At this point, she's literally sobbing. She's like catatonic on the floor. <laughs> it, it's the most intense mumbo jumbo and like <laughs> throwing in names of philosophers and, and quantum theories, but then also like making the other person feel really good about them. Like, ugh, it's honestly stunning the way that he like spins mumbo jumbo. I, we are. I, there's just so, there's, there are very few people in this world who have this craft or who like to do this. And I think it takes highly intelligent people. A thousand. They have to be able to recall a lot of details. Right. And I think they also have to like be able to understand their audience and what's going to be emotionally like debilitating for them to hear. What's going to really cut, hit him in the throat and be like, oh shit, he's right. Right. Vanguard is right. Totally. But if you're actually listening to what they say, they're not actually saying anything at all. Literally, like a conversation will be like, a conversation will go something like this. Like, someone will say, ask a very like normal, just like question about the emotions or whatever. And then they're like, well, you actually need to like open up the negative space for (laughs) the right type of energy. So that when when a question like that is brought to you, like you can have the answer. And then you're just like, what? Like, and it's, it's like Vanguard. I never really thought of it that way, but you're so right. Just you're so right. That. Yeah. It's, another facet is that go on these walks. Yeah. It's very strange. It's, yeah. Anyways. It's, it's very strange. All to say, let's, should we get to Doth's Chan? Yeah, let's get to the... The craziest the part of it. Okay, yeah. so the craziest part of it is once you're like in the cult, once you're in this like crazy group for a couple years what they try to do is the a woman in the group will come to you and say hey there's this secret society in nexium called dos and we think you're ready for it i think you're ready for it and like it is it's complete it's they basically repitch you it's the most transformational Mm -hmm. thing i've ever happened to me being part of this group is the best thing of my life 
totally transformed me, yada, yada, yada. So they lure you in and they make you feel special for being chosen. You're like and not allowed to talk about it. Like it's completely secret. And it's like, completely secret. Like, yeah. And I mean, just imagine if I told Chandler, like, okay, Chan, you have to, I want you to be on part, part of DOS, but, but it's so, such a secret that we have to have something on you so we know that you're 100% committed and that you'll never Exactly. It's to prove that you're in this. Like, we're not going to use it, but they say we need collateral, they call it collateral, mm-hmm. just to prove that you're extremely devoted. Right. Just to, and then this is the exact thing they would say. They say, just take a picture of your boobs or let's just take a picture of your boobs and that could be your collateral. Or it'll just like, just say something negative about your husband. Yeah. And we'll record it. Yeah. Say something really negative about your family members and then we'll record that and that'll be your collateral. Even right. if you don't mean it, even if it's a lie, like just say it. And that way we know that it's you'll never totally. like, exit yeah. DOS. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Or that we know you're fully committed. One other bit of context I will say is that like the people who are approaching this, like the people who are like getting new members into DOS, like this would literally be like if Lauren, my like best friend and sister was like telling me that like she wanted me to like join it with her. They prey upon like female relationships that are very close mm-hmm. and trusting and they have you recruit like your closest girlfriends into it yeah so you already that yeah exactly they have you recruit people you already deeply trust so exactly i honestly would fall for this if chandler told me this like i totally would because i'd be like oh, yeah because because i would be like i well 100 percent if it's so transformational and amazing just the way that nexium has been then i want in and yeah i guess i understand that like you you want to know that I take this seriously and I'm never going to leave it. So sure, have a naked photo of me. Have me on record or recorded talking negatively about the closest people to me. Have things that could destroy my life because I'm never leaving. So it's fine. Right, right. So that's how they get you in. And then once you're in, it's so the DOS actually stands for Dominus Obsequious Sororium. And it's a Latin phrase that means master over slave women. Mm-hmm. And it's this domination submission group. And it's a bunch of, it's totally a pyramid. At the top is Keith, although no one knows this. No one knows that he's at the head of it. Correct. At all. And then under him is Allison Mack. And then she has probably a group of five slaves under her. And she's They're literally called slaves. They're called slaves. You are to refer to yourself as a slave and then the person above you is your master and then like grandmasters would be Allison in this scenario. Yeah. And, but underneath all of her, they each have five slaves and they're the master Mm -hmm. and then underneath them. And so it's, it's branches out into this crazy pyramid of hundreds of women in this secret society. Yep. And it's so crazy. So they, so to stay in it or not to stay in it, but because, you know, obviously you're, you're so deep in this thing. Once like, you like, yeah, once you level up to this, like your commitment to Nexium goes like from being like pretty crazy to like absolutely insane. Through the roof. Yeah. Through the roof. And they they basically are like, okay, well actually I need collateral every week. So I need you to send something to me that would be destroying for you we need every week right we need more collateral on you to know you're still like committed Mm -hmm. so you're being pressured to send collateral because at the top they're pressuring all the masters to get more and more collateral from their women and then their women to also their slaves to also say i'm not even comfortable saying that word and then they're like you know slaves to also recruit more and more and more yeah like get more people in it or more women in it 
And like after you've been in it for a month, they do this ceremony where they literally take a um, co- what is it called? Cauterizing? Like a, it's like a, brand, a cauterizing iron or like yeah, a branding a, iron. A cauterizing rod or iron. And mm-hmm. they literally brand, they melt your flesh and put in what they ca- say is a symbol of like earth and, you know, the elements. Wind, fire, whatever. Yeah. They say women, it's all these but symbols. Like womanhood, like feminism, power. And, but they literally are like, like they say the smell and during these ceremonies where they do it is so atrocious that people are given like cloths to put over their noses because it's so disgusting. And the women that are like being cauterized on the table, their skin melted, are screaming and writhing around. And it's like this like very intense, scary experience. But you're so, and you're butt naked. Yeah. You're so like- far into it. It's like a hazing ceremony where you're like you're blindfolded, but you're na- and you're naked with all these other women that you like know very well. And so it's kind of, it's a classic example. It's honestly such a psychological case study, like getting people to do these crazy things, mm-hmm. because it's a classic example of when the group is doing something, it takes such it, it, most people, ninety nine percent of people, they will just do what the group does, right. even if it's yeah, have like your skin melted off of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's just this like DOS is just this nuts portion of it. Do we say the best part about not the best part, but like the craziest part about the brand? Oh yeah, no, do it. The so the branding symbol, if you look it up and you look somewhat closely, you can see that it's Keith Rainieri's initials and Allison Max. So it's Allison Mac and Keith Rainieri, their initials put together. Mm -hmm. It's not actually any deep, meaningful symbol. Right. And uh, another part of DOS that I want to cover off on is that you are so beholden to your master. They text you and you're all supposed to respond within one minute of them texting you. So you're always like, yeah. You are on call and you have to do anything they ask you to do. You you have to ask permission to eat, Mm -hmm. to do everything in your life. They put you on crazy calorie restrictions. Yes. They you may say like, Master, can I have 260 calories? Or in, in the screenshots, it was like, can I have 84 calories? Right. Night? Like you're basically put on All In by Teddy. Interesting collab, Keith Raniere and Teddy Mellencamp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's so sick because you look at Allison Mack in these videos and she really looks like a skeleton. Yeah, yeah. She looks so scary thin. I was reading all this stuff about how Keith will literally, like, Keith would, if, if a woman would, like, mention that she was going to go eat, he'd, like, make a pig sound. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keith was obviously the mastermind behind everything, but especially, like, the insane food deprivation culture. Which is just, it just goes to show the depth of his psychosis, because mm-hmm. it wasn't enough for him to have all of these people obsessed with him. He needed to, like, have women killing themselves right for his approval it's like the sickest form of control yeah i think it had less to do with them like being skinny and more about controlling them it's so incredibly dark i mean weren't allison and keith sleeping together like weren't they yeah and then yeah you're also expected to like uh like be with vanguard yeah so that's part of it is you know if you're in dos and i think probably if you're in dos you're sending all these naked photos yours all the time. So Keith just basically gets all these naked photos. And he's like, oh, yeah, I want to be with this girl. Mm-hmm. Tell her that her, you know, one of the things she has to do for DOS is to come seduce me. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what they would do. Yeah. Yep. 
I don't know how far I would have gotten down this, but I will say that I'm the type of person that can really dive into things with gusto. And so it does a little bit. I'm glad I saw this documentary before like taking a trip to Albany because I might have been like calling you to tell you about this amazing society. <laughs> You're like, uh, Chandler, I just got my green sash. I'm now a proctor. No, I, I totally I just got agree. Off the phone with Vanguard. <laughs> I think actually it's so much more viable than Scientology. The eeriest part about it for me was just how, like, the doctrine is a lot more digestible and, like, actually seems a lot more grounded in, like, real human emotion and, like, human psychology than, like, sci-fi. And I just could understand why people would fall for it and swipe their credit card. Totally. Because it's not, like, some crazy story. It's not, like, talking about Greek mythology. It's not a bunch of It's, like, philosophy. And well, like psychology. Yeah, it's it's honestly just hours of therapy that make that solve actually real problems for people. And they do actually, I think, make solid strides in their lives. But then they get so hooked on that feeling because they've never done that before. And I've never really done that before. But I imagine that you'd be so hooked on that feeling that you'd be like that that you get, you know, you're actually bought, you're brought in by a very real value. I think it's a bait and switch. I think you can also induce a bit of psychosis if you over therapize yourself. Interesting. I don't know if that's like a hot take, but I do think if you're in, if you're, if you can't even like deal in reality without like, I don't know. I just think there's something interesting with like over analyzing literally every part of your experience that induces like a little bit of psychosis. Yeah, I I think there's certainly an aspect. I think things can go too far and you can stop having your feet like firmly on the ground. Uh, Right. That's like, yeah, go ahead. I think like it's, it's a, it's the lethal combination of like of an entire community that's like therapizing you at all times. It's a little bit in the way some people will say they like, cut out toxic people from their lives Mm -hmm. i hear that a lot nowadays it's like oh you just you can't afford to have toxic people like if people aren't serving you then get rid of them and i feel like our society right now has or some people have zero room for people who don't agree with them or who don't have the same worldview or opinions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that actually used to be the foundation and fabric of our society was a bunch of different people learning how to contend and live with each other right and yeah, I think I think if, when you go down this path where you're so affirmed, and you it, it kind of is intoxicating. It is like this Eden of you know self actualization and validation. I think you can just get so drunk on the mumbo jumbo, mm-hmm. and it's also just like very basic psychology. Like if you are if you rise up the ranks and you feel like you are leading a group of people, like who are you to question it? People want to get to the next level, whatever they're doing. That's why there's, oh, this is interesting. I think one of the key characteristics of a cult is they ask for 110% of you, or they max right. out their ask of you because they know that you're to get people to go in with the appropriate gusto, they have to be all in, like forgive the expression or the pun, but they really do have to be all in or else they won't be properly invested. Right. That's actually, that's a strategy when setting prices for things. Like if you have a software that requires a high level of adoption, you want to make it expensive because otherwise people aren't going to do the work to adopt it and mm-hmm. to like actually use it. It's just there, you people work for things that they're investing a lot in. Right. Totally. It's a great so. point. 
Just very interesting. Uh, yeah. I just highly recommend the documentary. It'll leave you like reeling. And I think all of it will just show you the links uh, a 5-1 man will go to to get laid. So. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, so we're not hiatus for the record, folks. We are... We're not fully heightist, but sometimes we can be heightist, but whatever. Oh, heightist? Heightist, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I, I think, oh, I thought you were saying heightist. Yeah, I don't think we have really any male listeners, and we're not height heightist, but Keith is very diminutive. Yeah, also, I'm just, I don't care. We're going to make fun of him. He's a crazy sex cult leader. T- totally, totally. We have free reign over we do. Keith Rainier. We do. Okay, Chan, other, beyond Nexium. I will just make a quick plug for Waco on Netflix. Oh. I don't know. If, have you seen I've it? I've never seen it. Oh my gosh. It's great. Really? And I'm going to say that it's it's not modern day cult. It's like uh, back in, I want to say, well, actually the 90s or the 80s maybe. Uh, sorry. Let me look this up really quick. One second. No problem. Um, sorry. It was in the 90s. So it's not like, uh, the story didn't just break like a couple of years ago, like with Nexium, but it's fascinating. It's more just like traditional Christian cult. And Taylor Kitsch, who's like one of my all-time celebrity crushes, shout out to Friday Night Lights, if anybody's seen Friday Night Lights. He's like a gorgeous man. And he plays David Koresh, who's like the cult leader. And basically, when I found out that my I had run out of episodes for The Vow, which is the Nexium show, I was like, okay, I have to watch something else cult. Like, I can't, I can't watch anything else any other subject matter so then I went to Waco and I didn't know how the story ended and I was like really surprised so it it, so you would you say it's as good as the Nexium doc yeah I would say it's well it's not like a documentary it's like a mini series like it's like no totally totally. live action but it is it has a different angle like you don't you feel sorry for the cult members more than you're like incredulous okay Okay, so, I'm excited. Give it a whirl. It's really good. I've watched it, but I never paid attention. So I'll yeah, watch it. it's good. Can I tell? Can I give a little bit of a royal update on my Please. You know, study of a royal family? I am. Yeah. Okay, so the most interesting thing that I learned this week about the royal family from Finding Freedom was about Kate Middleton. Ooh, yes. yes. Let's mix it up. This actually isn't that interesting of a tidbit, but I think it's interesting. So apparently. Kate Middleton essentially never – Kate Middleton essentially – okay, how do I put this? If I was to be in the royal family uh-huh. and I was to hear that Meghan Markle, Prince Harry is in love with Meghan Markle, I'm now going to have a friend who's about my age, another girl is about my age, on the road, going to the ribbon-cutting ceremony. On the road. <laughs> like yeah. they get in the family van pile in. <laughs> Honestly, though, like yeah, trudging true. through these boring events, right? Like I would be thrilled. Okay. And she's like an American actress. That's fun. Yeah, she's. And I don't think Meghan Markle is overly threatening. Like she's not. I think Meghan Markle is just like a, a like a. I would think. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have this girl. Right. Because I'm probably like so bored at most of the scrap. You know, you could make like crack a few jokes about the Queen, like with Meghan Markle. Like in the back of the room. Totally. Suddenly you have someone in your age demographic who you can be in all these, who you can like share in most of your life. And also you can talk about, you can say, 
oh, it, can you believe you're dating like a prince? Like you're the only one that relates to marrying into a royal family from having been a commoner. Right. Like you're, it's like another outsider. Exactly. So apparently Kate Middleton completely was never anything but like icy polite to Megan. Like, really? Yes. Megan tried to be her friend, like brought her a gift the first time they met, like sent her like a warm thank you card, like like really tried to be her friend and tried to get together. And like basically because she thought like, oh, my, like she thought she was going to step in and oh. Kate was going to be thrilled to have her there as anyone would think. But like apparently Kate Middleton, it never got beyond icy politeness with Kate Middleton and she never invited her to anything or never like they lived on the same grounds and she would only see her at like events they had to go to. That's so sad. That makes me like truly mad. Isn't that so sad? And it's so sad. And the whole time, apparently, when they were at the events, she would, like, one-word answers, just not, like, basically completely rejected her and iced her out. I mean, I am sure as two gals, like, you and I have both been there when we felt iced out by, like, a friend group or a girl. And it's, like, the worst feeling in the entire world to try and then to have just to just have someone shut you down. Well, and also, I think I think with all of the racist things that happened to Meghan Markle from the royal family, like when that princess wore the that brooch, I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I won't get into that, but like basically, a lot of that family treated her so poorly, and then the one person who, other than your husband or your fiance, who you're going to relate to the most and be able to bond with the most, completely rejects you. I think that's fascinating. It's like fascinating and makes me really dislike Kate Middleton. I think it shows that she was super territorial. Like I think what what it showed is that she did not want to share the spotlight. No. And I think like Kate Middleton is beloved and she, yeah, doesn't want to share the spotlight and she doesn't want anyone else stealing any sort of like thunder or like adoration from like the British people or the world. Exactly. Which is so interesting. And I, I, it's so funny. I've had a few DMs from people like, I actually love Meghan Markle. And I, I just want to say, I, I have teased, I would say on this pod, but I actually really do like Meghan Markle too. And I, if I had to choose right now, I'm 100% team Megan. 1,000%. I think I now understand, having read the book, why she left and why she and, and found freedom if you will why she found freedom well it was just interesting because one of the big things that they talk about is like harry never wanted harry took on the duty of being of being in that family and being a prince but he never really liked it and never really wanted to do it and when he saw the press brutalizing megan the way they did his mother it basically triggered all this ptsd mm-hmm. in him and he was actually the the person who wanted to leave the most Ugh. yeah because yeah, you you almost think like she would have wanted to try it out for a little bit just like for size just like being a princess but it, it was pretty bad yeah can you imagine you have to, your new job is you have to work for this family and go to a bunch of events all the time and you're hounded in the press all the time you can't do anything right and then mm-hmm. the family itself who you've given up your life and career for are just total bitches to you yeah are just completely cold no absolutely not it's like fergie who was married to prince andrew who's now not even a prince anymore or whatever yeah but fergie in an interview with oprah basically talked about how it's like when she became 
his wife, she talked about how it was like she hated it so much. Like the existence of actually being in the royal family, she just said it's one of the hardest and most horrible things. I'm and sure so I think it's so miserable. It's interesting. Yeah, it makes me really excited for this next season. I know of the crown. Yeah, to see Diana. We're so, so excited. So excited. So everyone can rest easy that Prince Harry didn't fall in love with them this this week. I want you to know that you've 100% like you're the perfect case study for someone who's read Found Freedom because I feel like the desired effect like happened to you. Oh, totally. 100%. Like, I, I get it. Got it. I get it. I understand <laughs> you fully. Go live your truth. Live your best life. You deserve it, Harry and Megan. I'm team Harry and Megan. Yes. I have been convinced. Love it. Love but it. I'm I will, happy for you. I really think that the – I think they have such an intense respect for William and Kate in that country that I really don't think they would have printed what they did about Kate if it hadn't been true. Right. Also, it's it's not – it's terrible and it's not okay, but it's not the worst thing you can say about someone is that they're cold or they didn't want to be friends. It's not the worst thing you can say, but it's a pretty bad thing. Yeah, but if the British people don't like Meghan Markle, then they're not going to condemn Kate for not wanting to be friends with her. Totally, totally. I just think it's interesting. There is a part of me that thinks, okay, well, maybe if I'm used to being like this huge megastar and there is like this new girl on the scene who's going to steal the shine, maybe that would maybe bug the part of me that I don't want to admit to for a month or two. But she was there for two years and Kate never warmed up to her and never like let her in. Lauren, I think you should write the next Finding Freedom. I'm pretty impassioned about this. You really are. I I want to talk about this some more. I'm obsessed. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, my next book is about, is purely about Diana. So I'll be back with details on Diana next week. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for our correspondent. You're welcome. Anything else you want to cover this week, Jan? Oh yeah. Lauren, have you been seeing, did you see my Instagram story perchance yesterday about, uh, of Lil Nas X, who's a rapper who... I certainly did. Yeah. So basically, story broke this past weekend or a few days ago that there is a studio in LA that you can rent out for around 60 to $80 an hour that looks like the inside of a private jet. So funny. And influencers are going there, TikTok stars are going there to film their PJ content. And it's pretty, I don't want to say brilliant, but it's pretty brilliant. Uh, it's super brilliant. And I like, think I wish I thought of this. I, I want to admit that if the time ever comes that I'm riding on a private jet, you can bet I'm going to be posting it. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to resist. I know. It's, we're, we're only human, folks. We're only human. We, I, no person in my life who's ever ridden on a pri- private jet hasn't posted it. Which I think... <laughs> Which I think speaks to Dorinda's quote of money talks, wealth whispers. All of us are like, we don't know when this is going to happen again. So I'm just going to snap a few pics. Totally. (laughs) But I will not be renting out a studio in Los Angeles and posting a picture in a fake jet. That's where I draw the line. Okay. The best part about this fake jet is that it's pretty janky looking. Like it doesn't even look like a good private jet. It looks like a private jet with like sparse chairs and like some like very intense lighting. It basically like... This, this chairs are like the white leather that you can wipe with a wet – I mean, you can wipe down with a wet cloth. And, yeah, they look like something from, like, Laura Ashley clearance. I mean, what's outside the windows of the jet? Is it's it just, like, like white? It's, like, it literally, looks- like, studio lighting. 
Oh my god! Yeah, it's amazing. Phenomenal. I want to go to one. I know we should go and just take. We pictures. should go for Pop Apologist. We can literally do this like next time I'm in LA. Let's go. We're going. Pop Apologist has really taken off, people. Guys, I have an update on Jewel Guy. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah, tell us. <sighs> I think he found the pod. <laughs> oh yeah, you did text me this week. He texted me and said, "Did you make a podcast about me?" Which interesting verb choice there did you make a podcast in the business it's you know did you record a podcast about me did you talk about me or on did the you podcast? did you mention me on your podcast because right. it's not like we had an episode dedicated to him or a no. podcast dedicated to him no we certainly did not but i found that to be like brilliant or so i found that funny. to be like really gratifying well what that means it's that he's actually listening to the podcast because to to find that out it's not like it was in the title no, it's like episode 18 or something yeah you in, know in a random part of it yeah he's a listener hi should we call him by his name <laughs> absolutely not well well how, happy to have you here our only male listener thank you sorry yeah it's a good thing you're over five one but not by much yeah honestly well hopefully we retain um our listeners after this dark nexium episode yeah and hopefully we also retain Jewel Guy. we got to keep those numbers up, people. We really so, do. Thank you so much for listening. And one last thing. We just want to say that this episode is for Tasha and is dedicated to Mo. We want to take a second to acknowledge a really special listener. We heard about the story of Tasha and her son Mo. And we were just really touched by their resilience and their strength. We feel really lucky that you're yeah. listening to the podcast. And we are sending lots of love your way. Absolutely. Tasha, we're so thrilled and honored to have you as a listener. And we're just so happy you're here. So thank you so much for listening each week. And we love you lots, girl. Love ya. All right. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at popapologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus' wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Catherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley, and I'm Jennifer Chaikin, and we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of The Therapy Group, and hosts of The Shrink Chicks Podcast. Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout, making them more relatable 
and understandable leaving the psychobabble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how. And work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. 